Okay, so today I'm glad you're here. We're starting our study through the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul around A.D. 50, which is about 20 years after Jesus was crucified. Paul passed through the area on his first missionary journey, and you find that in Acts chapter 14. And on his second missionary journey, he was also there, and that's Acts chapter 16. And due to the fact that he doesn't mention the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15, we can probably figure that he wrote this before Acts chapter 15. So those of you who are here when we studied through the book of Acts, you might remember in Acts chapter 15, something called the Jerusalem Council. And at that Jerusalem Council, it was decided that non-Jewish Christians did not have to complete things of the Jewish ceremonial laws in order to become Christian. So that was a big issue. Well, here what happens is in the book of Galatians, we're going to see this group of Judaizers kind of rises up and starts to tell people, in order to be a Christian, you have to not only believe in Jesus, but you have to observe Old Testament ceremonial laws such as circumcision in order to be accepted by God. So basically the whole purpose of the book of Galatians is actually to protect the integrity of the gospel. So Paul is writing to these churches in Galatia to protect the one true gospel message. These false teachers infiltrated and basically the church was accepting their teaching. So now as we start to read this letter, if you've read any of the other epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you read some of the other epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to these churches, normally he's pretty positive when he starts off. He starts off with some kind of a greeting. He starts off with some kind of a thanksgiving. But the tone of the first 10 verses of this letter starts off with Paul. He's angry. Okay, he's angry, then he moves to concern, and then he reminds them, who are you trying to be approved by? So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been angry with a fellow believer? Have you ever been angry with a fellow believer because they're doing the wrong thing? So you have a friend or family member, somebody in your life, and you know they're doing the wrong thing. They're a believer. They say they believe in Jesus. They're doing the wrong thing, and it makes you angry. You see the way they're living, it makes you angry. You might even confront them and they kind of shrug it off. Or maybe you confront them and they say something to you like, this is none of your business, don't bother me about this. And I'm not talking about just random Christians. I'm not talking about just walking up to a random Christian. I'm talking about someone that you might consider a friend, maybe a family member, maybe someone that you serve alongside with in the church and because of the way that they're living, it has a direct impact on your life. It has a direct impact on you because, you know what, maybe they're being an embarrassment to the Christian faith. Maybe what they're doing is causing problems for you. Not only are you angry with them, but you're concerned because they're going to hurt themselves or hurt the people around them. Now, this is why Paul was angry with the church in Galatia, because he preached to these people. These were people that he preached the gospel message to, and now they're kind of wavering. They're falling away. But the way that they're falling away is not in like a, a falling away, like maybe like doing something grossly immoral, but the way they're falling away is they're, they're becoming more religious, so to speak. 
and what Paul will later say following a different gospel. They were following teachers that were essentially saying it's not just about having faith in Jesus. You have to have faith in Jesus and follow these Old Testament ceremonial laws in order to be accepted by God. So it's a Jesus plus whatever they're teaching equals salvation. So Paul, he confronts them and he starts with why they should listen to him. Like Paul is coming back, or not coming back, but writing to them and saying, this is why you guys should listen to me. So let's start off here. And he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So basically what's happening now is Paul's reminding them, I didn't get this message from other people. I got this message directly from Jesus himself. And if you remember back in Acts chapter 9, the account of Paul actually coming to the Lord. Paul was named Saul at that time. He was on the road to Damascus, and he was going to persecute Christians. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up and said, Paul, or Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? Then Jesus essentially preached the gospel to Paul. Basically said, you have to trust me. Okay, I am the Savior. So now what Paul is saying is he's kind of recounting that. They already know that, but he's kind of recounting, this is why you guys should listen to me. I didn't get this message from a person. This message came directly from Jesus. So they should listen to him because the gospel message is from Jesus and it brings hope. So Paul then underlines some points of the gospel. He says, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, of God and Father. Now, Jesus gave himself. So Paul underlines this, gave himself for our sins. Now, most of you remember this. The gospel message starts with the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He laid down his life for us, for our sins. He died in our place. It should have been us, but it was him. He took our sins upon himself. When he died on that cross, when he shed his blood, he was doing that on our behalf. So Paul reminds the Galatians, says, that, that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for you. He died for your sins. He was willing to take your sin debt upon himself because he was perfect and he was able to do that. We know that three days later he rose from the grave to prove that he is God and the scriptures teach us that all who believe will have eternal life. Well, Paul says this is according to the will of the Father. This was always the plan. When mankind fell, the plan was always that Jesus would come and save us. God would show how loving he is by being willing to die for us. Jesus paid in full, meaning there's no works of the law that we need to complete. If anybody says to you that you need to be a good person to get to heaven, they are a liar, 
okay? The truth is that there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who is good. We all need Jesus as our Savior. And Jesus then gives us his righteousness and makes us pure and makes us holy and makes us acceptable to God the Father. Faith in Jesus Christ is sufficient for our salvation. It's not Jesus plus works equals salvation. It's trust in Jesus and that equals salvation. Why do we do good works? Because we're appreciative to the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us. Not only that, we want to be obedient to the calling of living a life that's pleasing to him. But notice Paul says this, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Well, what does that mean? Because I thought that believing in Jesus just kind of gave me salvation. Now I can go to heaven when I die. But the truth is this. Not only does the gospel save us for eternity, the gospel gives us hope for the present age that we live in. Hey, so we live in a little bit different age than what Paul was speaking to the church in Galatia. But maybe right now in this present age, you're discouraged about the way the world is. Have you ever felt that way? A little discouraged, right? You're look, you look at life and say, eh, what's wrong with, what, what's going on, right? We see wars and conflict, and there seems to be no hope of resolution. We see all these gender confusion issues being pushed on the younger generations, and we get discouraged. We see a bleak political climate. We see corruption in businesses and the justice system. We see a generation of parents letting the kids call the shots rather than listening and obeying their parents. We see a culture of loose living on TV, in movies, and music. And, you know, we have to shake our head. We look and we get discouraged in this present, as Paul says, evil age. We see all these things and more, and we may feel like there is no hope. But guess what? Paul is saying we can be delivered from that line of thinking, okay? We can be delivered of thinking there's no hope because there is, because we have Jesus. Do you realize as Christians, we should be the happiest, the most joyful people that the people around us know? But guess what? We get discouraged. We're walking these days, right? That's how we look. We, we don't smile. We're not happy. We just think everything is bad, right? Who wants to be around that? I don't, okay? And I hope you don't either. We should be the people with the smile on their face, the joy in our heart, because guess what? This present evil age doesn't impact where we're going for the future. It gives us hope. That's why as a Christian, we should be, come on, look who I love. Look who I believe in. Look where we're going. You see, when things are not looking hopeful for mankind, we need to focus our attention on the fact that we were in a hopeless state in our sin and Jesus reached out and saved us, okay? It seemed impossible, but guess what? With God, all things are possible. So when we look at this world and we're tempted to feel hopeless, we know that with God, all things are possible. God can work through these situations and the things. And some of you are living proof of this. Some of you are living proof because some of the worst things that you can imagine happened to you and you see how God in his tapestry kind of weaved in hope and amazing things happen through those things. 
Now, these believers in the church of Galatia are turning their back on the hope because of these false teachers. The false teachers are trying to replace true hope with false hope. And Jesus is the only one that can bring true hope. That's why Paul ends this little section, this greeting with, to whom, talking about Jesus, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because Jesus is the one who brings salvation. He's the one that deserves the glory. If we could save ourselves, we deserve the glory. But Jesus deserves the glory. So next Paul moves. You know, he was angry. But then he moves on to this sense of concern. And he says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul's surprised how quickly this has happened. They deserted their trust in Jesus and are listening to false teachers that are teaching a false gospel. And then Paul reminds them, there really isn't another gospel. This is just a counterfeit one, a false one. So what Paul's going to get into in Galatians, and we're going to study in the coming weeks, is what these Judaizers are teaching. It's a legalistic brand of like Old Testament laws melded with Jesus a little bit. And basically what's going to happen here is we're, we're going to look at some of that stuff later on. But for our purposes today in 2024, what I want to do is I want to deal with what I'm going to call popular gospel distortions. Popular gospel distortions. Now, these aren't necessarily proper names for these gospel distortions, okay? These are like kind of like Mike Morazic names for these. Um, you know, from my reading and studying and seeing the landscape of Christianity. So these are some things that, you know, I've observed and you've observed and are really happening in this world that's happening in Christian churches across the country and across the world. And little caveat here. I'm not trying to say we are the best church, but what I am telling you is we are a gospel-centered church, okay? We are a gospel-centered church, and when a church is not gospel-centered, there are problems. There are distortions. So I want to look at some of these distortions, these popular gospel distortions, and the first is politically-driven Christianity. Have you seen this? You probably have, okay? You might belong to it, and it's a problem if you do, okay? This distracts from the gospel because it alienates people based upon their political beliefs. I'm not talking about black and white issues such as abortion. I am talking about things like border policies, economic policies, all the things that, you know, you get spouted out in politics, right? And what happens is this people start to align themselves with a political party as Christian, then they start to doubt other people's faiths because they don't align themselves with that same political party. You get that? So here's what happens. It alienates them. And I've had people say to me, you don't talk about politics enough. That's not my job, okay? Because guess what? If I talked about politics, then somebody who doesn't believe in whatever political position that I'm taking, walks into our church, says, I'm alienated. I don't fit here. I don't believe like this person believes, right? So 
politically driven Christianity can be a problem because it alienates, it alienates people from the gospel message, from hearing the gospel message, makes them feel like they don't belong. And even worse, it preaches Jesus plus my political viewpoints equals Christianity. It's a problem, okay? And we see it. And here's what happens. In situations like this, pastors and leaders, they gain popularity, notoriety. They gain some influence, so they continue down this road. Next, affirming Christianity. These are people that feel the role of the church is to accept everyone just as the way they are with no expectation to change or follow Jesus. So here's a problem. For the record, our church here, Gospel Center Church, we do accept and welcome everyone. We accept and welcome everyone. But the true gospel message starts with admitting we all have a problem. And our problem is sin. And when we trust in Jesus, guess what Jesus' expectation is from us? Guess what it is? Go and sin no more. When you trust in Jesus, he tells you, go and sin no more. Meaning this, I want you to change. I will change you. I will help you change. But don't sit in the sin the way that you're sitting in it anymore. Because this, it's not good for you. Jesus loves you. He desires you to change. So we accept everyone, but you know what? All of us who have issues and problems with sin, we also expect to see Jesus work and change. So the affirming church would say, we all have different sins, and those who are sinning like that, they can stay like that. There's no reason to change. We all accept one another for the sins that we have. See, the problem is, in later in Galatians 5, do you know what Paul says? He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The problem is, is when we accept sin and encourage sin, it actually messes up the whole church. And there's churches across the country and across the world that are jacked up and messed up because they're affirming. Third, Social justice Christianity. Now, the goal of social justice is to alleviate suffering in this world. That is a great thing, okay? Let me just tell you, historically, Christians have been the best at this. That's why when you go to a hospital, a lot of hospitals are named Saint so-and-so, right? It's because Christians started it, okay? Orphanages, adoption agencies, Christians started a lot of these things to alleviate suffering in this world today. That is a good thing. We want to do that. We want to help other people. But historically, what's happened is in many social justice Christianity organizations and churches is they say, let's help people in the here and now, but they leave out what alleviates eternal suffering, which is the gospel message. So we do both end, right? Help people and tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done. Could you imagine just helping somebody with their physical needs, knowing that they have spiritual needs, and just saying, I don't really want to tell them about that. They might not like that message. They might not like hearing that. Well, guess what they won't like? Eternity apart from God. It's our job as Christians 
to bring the gospel. The next is one of my favorites. Something new Christianity. I'm bored with the church, and I want something new, different, and exciting. Okay? Go water skiing. Okay, here's the thing. If you see authors and preachers and Christian leaders coming out with books that are touting something new and fresh, you know what the Bible says? There's nothing new under the sun, okay? Here's the thing. Something new, something fresh. Oh, we want something different. This has become a huge problem in the Christian church, okay? This has become common in the home church movement. A group of people get together because they don't like the churches in their area, and they think or believe we have something new so we can gather our people together and do something new, something different together. The issue? No accountability, Therefore, strong, likable leaders do what they want to do. They might start out gospel-centered, but they kind of move into cult-type behaviors because basically they look, we're doing something better, we're doing something new, we have a corner on this market. So they're not gospel-centered any longer. And finally, this is my junk drawer category, bad theology Christianity. Now, I can go all day on this one, okay, but I won't. This is a catch-all for any church that they're teaching waivers from biblical truth. Okay? Any church. Again, I'm not saying we're the best church by any means. You know how I am. You never really hear me like, yes, we're awesome, we're awesome. I'm not like that, okay? But we are a gospel-centered church. And we focus in on the gospel and what God's word says, and that's why we teach through God's word. So this is a catch-all for any church that they're teaching waivers from biblical truth. These churches don't study their Bible. They preach little self-help messages. They focus in on heartwarming stories, and they get stuck in traditions that are man-made, not God-ordained. Or they feel in their bad theology that they have certain apostolic gifts, and they can heal people with their own two hands, that they can cast out demons with their own hands, that they can interpret dreams. These are things that when we read in the scriptures, having a holistic view of the way that the Bible fits together and how the Old Testament points to Jesus and how Jesus points us to the Father and how Jesus saves us. So generally speaking, they do not handle the fullness and the unity of God's word. So what do we do with these distortions? Now the temptation is attack right? Okay, let's take the list. Let's find the politically people and get them, you know? That's not what we do. The good news is this, is when you're part of a gospel-centered church and the focus is on what Jesus has done and how we respond to his word, it will eventually either get the people that are coming out on focus as well, or it will repel the people that want this from coming. So here's how it works. For example, if they don't hear enough about politics, they're like, that nah, church is not for me. If they don't hear enough about social justice, oh, that church is not for me. If they don't hear enough about affirming, that church is not for me. If they don't hear something new, that church is not for me. And incidentally, for us, because we hate to see people leave, but guess what? They leave on their own. That church is not for me. I'm not all about gospel-centered. I'm all about this or that or the other thing. But those of you who are 
about being gospel-centered say, this is where I need to be. Because all the ministries, all the things that we do point to the one who saves us. Do you realize you didn't get up this morning to hear rhetoric, to hear something like that? You got up this morning because you, and you came here this morning because you wanted to worship the one who saved you. And I'm glad you're here to worship him. I'm glad you're here that we can worship together and point the people we know and the people we love that we can be inspired to go out this week and say, you know what? Jesus loves me. I have the joy in my heart because of that. I want to spread that joy to other people. I'm not going into work tomorrow and talking about what I saw in the news that was so depressing last night. Okay, I'm going to go and tell people about the one who loves me, the one who died for me, the one who changed my life, the one who promises me eternity. I'm not going to waste my time any longer. So then he goes into this. He says, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. So he's saying, Remember when we preached it? We got it from Jesus. We preached it right to you. You believed it. It says this. Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you? Let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Strong words here. Two times, right? Paul's angry because he knows what this can do to a church. If the church stops focusing on what Jesus has done, and if the church stops preaching what Jesus has done, he knows who will do it. Let me ask you that. If we stop preaching the gospel, who in our community is going to do it? If the other gospel-centered churches in our community stop preaching the gospel, who's going to do it? Anybody know? Nobody, okay? The school's not doing it. The local clubs aren't doing it. The church is on mission to do it. So if we stop, and all the other gospel-centered churches in our community stop, there's going to be a huge problem. Because nobody will know what the gospel message is. Because we know that we live in this post-Christian culture where people aren't opening their Bibles. They're not opening their Bibles. They're not reading. They're not learning. So in this strong statement, he says two times, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Or in other words, Paul is saying that these people preaching the false gospel will face eternal destruction. In other words, for lack of better terms, he's saying, let them go to hell. That's what he's saying. Let them be accursed. These are some strong words from the Apostle Paul, but he's mad and he's concerned. So believers, you should see this when we see this. We don't stand by and allow it to happen. Paul's angry. He's concerned about this huge problem. So Paul closes this section by stating the root of the problem. Why, why, why do people do this? Well, he's saying the root of the problem is this. People are seeking approval from other people. Okay? People are seeking approval from other people. If I tell people it's all about Jesus, they might not like me. Have you ever felt that way? I don't want people to think I'm a holy roller. I don't want people to think I'm some Bible thumper. I don't want some people to think I'm not inclusive. I don't want people to think I'm narrow-minded. I don't want people... 
You name it, right? We've all felt that way. I've felt that way before. I mean, when I talk to people and stuff, I mean, when you talk to people, when you meet people, what's one of the first things as an adult that you ask somebody? What do you do, right? I'm done at this point, right? Okay? We're talking about Jesus, okay? Oh, really? A pastor, right? We're talking about Jesus. So I've learned to not be ashamed, okay? It wasn't my first default, okay? But I've learned we're talking about Jesus, right? Why wouldn't I want to? He saved me. He's done everything for me. Now, the false teachers are trying to walk the line. Here's what's happening. We're going to learn more in Galatians. This new thing called Christianity has taken on, right? But there's a lot of Jewish people that are, you know, tied to these Old Testament laws and ceremonial laws. So they're like, you know what? Let's meld them. Jesus plus this equals salvation. So they're looking for the approval from other people. Remember, the Old Testament, we don't throw away the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament points to Jesus, points to what he's done. But that doesn't mean we look back at the Old Testament and say, okay, I have to follow all these ceremonial laws. All those things point to the fact that man's need and woman's need is to be forgiven of our sin and sin needs to be paid for. So if the religious Jews don't like the fact that it's just Jesus, that's their problem, okay? The Christians there shouldn't say, oh, we got to please these people. We have to please Jesus. So Paul is telling them, my goal or your goal should not be approval from people but it should be approval from God. And here's how he closes this off. It's for, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is so applicable for us today, right, in our daily lives, because we need to realize that we live for an audience of one, okay? Of one. When you go home and you lay your head on that pillow at night, it's you and the Lord, right? An audience of one. The decisions that you make at work, the things that you say and the things that you do, the sinful things, the non-sinful things, the glorifying things to God, the things that God does not like, he is watching. He is your audience. He is the one you're looking for approval from. What matters is his approval. So that means after we trusted him for salvation, the way we should live is by his word, by his standards, and by obedience to him. Now this morning, most of you know, we're going to observe communion. And communion is a time for us to remember the gospel. Okay? It's the cornerstone of why we're here this morning. The gospel message. Jesus' body was given for us. Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't want us to forget what he's done. Gospel focused. But secondarily, Paul talks about in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, it's a time for us to examine ourselves. You know, maybe we've gotten a little off track. 
you know, when, when I put that list up of these, like, you know, names that I made up for all these Christianity types, okay, maybe, you know, maybe you've been a little more politically charged than you should be, okay? And maybe that's time for you to shut the certain channel off and actually read the Bible and see what Jesus has to say about loving your neighbor, about loving the person that maybe your political party told you you should hate. And Jesus said, you shouldn't hate anybody. Maybe that's your issue. Maybe you've been looking for something new. You're bored of Christianity. I've been a Christian for 30-something years. This is kind of boring. I need something new. Well, you don't, okay? You need Jesus. You need to focus in on him. Whatever you're struggling with, there might not be anything there. It might just be some kind of personal sin that you're dealing with, that you've been struggling with for days, months, years, or even decades. You need to give it up to Jesus because guess what? The gospel that brings you hope in salvation also brings you hope for change because what was impossible, you being saved, was made possible through Jesus and now that impossible sin that you don't think you can shake is made possible through Jesus. You just need to give it to him. So I'm going to give you a few moments to just, you know, be quiet in your hearts, in your minds, and then we'll partake together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Please bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our salvation through your son Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would continue to see the hope that we have through your gospel message. And all these things of this world, of this evil present age that are trying to tear us away from telling other people about that, from finding hope in your gospel message. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to keep our focus, that you would help us with any sin that we might be struggling with, with any thought process that we might be struggling with that's not glorifying to you. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would deliver us. I pray that we would cling to your love. We're so thankful for this day, for each person here, and for the fact that this church, for decades, has been centered on your gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.